Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, we have a really big shoe for you on this uh, beautiful day. Medea Benjamin is going to be on the line with us live from Peru. There's an election going on down there, plus uh, elections in Ecuador and Colombia that have, in some ways, kind of echoes of what's going on here. We'll get into that in the third hour. Dennis Kucinich is also going to be with us. as a new book out about corporate malfeasance. It's pretty amazing. First of all, Trump was not wearing his pants backwards yesterday, and yes, he did have a zipper. Okay, just so that's out of the way, it didn't look that way. And there was a lot of, I mean, Louise and I last night were like, what? You know, when, when these pictures started popping up on the internet, you know, because his pants were just so weird. I mean, it's uh, huge pant legs and all this kind of stuff. My assumption when I thought he was wearing pants without a zipper is that instead of just wearing a girdle, he had had a tailor, I mean, guy's a billionaire, right? He had had a tailor build a girdle into a pair of pants. And so he would just pull them up, you know, like sweatpants kind of thing. That was my guess. You know, other people had other theories, including that some sort of accident had made the front of his pants unpresentable or that maybe he just put them on, you know, backwards. I don't think so. Joy Behar this morning on The View said, it looked like he pooped his pants. Oh, no, come on. That's the kind of funny stuff, the serious stuff. And I think we need to pay actual careful attention to this. The writing, R-I-G-H-T-I-N-G, the T-H-E-R-I-G-H-T-I-N-G dot com is a website. Their slogan is the top news headlines from the far right for the rest of us. In other words, we'll read the right wing news so you don't have to. And I get their newsletter every morning. And the one this morning, these are the top stories on the top right wing websites today. World at Daily, LGBTQ indoctrination is working. A Gallup poll finds an 800 percent hike in young Americans claiming alternative identification. Well, that's great. It means people are coming out of the closet, right? People are not fearful. But no, they say it's indoctrination. Front page, the left's urgent mission to sexualize children. As Pride Month begins, the left's predatory designs on our kids accelerate. Clash daily. Men's names are being overtaken by women. And it just goes on from there with this kind of stuff. And I'm like, where did this come from? Well, it turns out this started over on 4chan the same place where QAnon started. It's a conspiracy is, I suppose it's an appropriate word, called Operation Pridefall. 
This is Pride Month. This is June. It's Pride Month. And so Operation Pride Fall, the planning for which began on May 10th. Let's push this national. Let's push this out to basically just trash the LGBTQ community. Go after gender minorities. Go after people who, who don't identify as straight and particularly as male and straight. And apparently it's working. Apparently, Operation Pridefall has now moved from the fringe of 4chan into the semi-mainstream of far-right websites. My rant over on HartmanReport.com today about when a political party or a nation are more obsessed with identity than they are with issues, you know something is going on. And just like with race, this whole issue of gender identity is another issue that conservatives, as they have done throughout history, are using to try to tear people apart, try to pit Americans against each other. Now, I'm guessing, frankly, that the racial issue will work better for them than going after gay people and, you know, the, the, well, the whole spectrum of LGBTQ people. You know, uh, we saw this being cranked up against trans people over the last few months with all this legislation that was being proposed with regard to children's sports, young people's sports and things like that. Hate is their business. So I wanted you to know where this is coming from, because if this is popping up like this in this way at this level, on these kinds of websites today, probably in a week or two, it's going to start popping up on mainstream media. You're going to see the modern day versions of Rick Santorum out there uh, talking about the predatory left promoting a LGBTQ agenda, etc. All I can do is warn you about it and, and condemn it. This is all they've got, you know? This is literally all the right has these days, is selling hate. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. And the sad news is, if you look at history, it has worked. I mean, it worked for Hitler, it worked for Mussolini, it worked for Franco, it worked for Trump. On the line with us, uh, live from Peru, is uh, Medea Benjamin, activist, co-founder of Code Pink and Global Exchange, author of 10 books, including her latest, Inside Iran, The Real History and Politics of the Islamic Republic of Iran, CodePink.org, GlobalExchange.org. Medea Benjamin is her Twitter handle, as well as Code Pink and Global Exchange. Medea, welcome back. So tell me about what's going on in Peru. Well, it's an exciting place to be right now and very nerve-wracking because the presidential elections happened yesterday. Two candidates who couldn't be more opposite. One, Keiko Fujimori, who is the daughter of the former president, Fujimori, who is in prison for human rights abuses and corruption. She herself facing charges of corruption that could land her 30 years in prison if she doesn't become president. This is like Ivanka and, uh, Trump running for president, side. right? Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And she was the first lady when her father was the president. And then on the other side is very humble teacher, rural teacher, farmer, 
his name is Pedro Castillo. He was pretty much a unknown until he won in the first round when there were so many other candidates and suddenly found himself as the top candidate for president. Some call him the anti-candidate. He has no Facebook, no Twitter, no real organized party. He was invited to be part of another party, and that's what he ran on. And yet he had an echo within a population that has been so hard hit by COVID, where it's very rich in resources, but so many people who haven't shared in that wealth. And he struck a chord with this simple slogan that says, no more poor people in a rich country. Hmm. And so now we're hanging on. He is ahead by a thread, a tiny, like, 20,000 votes. It's really a cliffhanger. Votes from the outside the country haven't been all counted yet. And the votes from the rural area, where he has his support, as opposed to Keiko Fujimori, who has her support in the cities, there are still rural votes to be counted. So that's where we stand now. It's a campaign between the wealthy, elite, middle class, and who have been scared to death by slanderous right-wing media saying that Pedro Castillo is a communist and a terrorist and people who are desperate for change. Wow. It's kind of a reversal of the United States. In the United States, the rural areas are the harder right-wing and the urban areas are the more progressive. It's, it's fascinating. Um, Absolute reversal. And even among the students in the city, they tend to be more conservative. The countryside is where the money, the wealth hasn't spread. So you have places that are the center of the mining, the copper, the gold, and they're the poorest parts of the country. So, yes, it's very different than in the U.S. But actually, uh, there are other places in Latin America like this where... You still have a lot of people without electricity, without running water. The school that Pedro Castillo taught at for 20 years, they had to build it themselves because the state didn't even build a school for them. Wow. I, I've been to Lima. I've not got, gotten out into rural Peru. But, and in fact, when I was there, it was like, geez, 40 years ago. They, they had, in fact, there'd just been a bombing in the city. There, that was back in the old Shining Path day, et cetera. What's going on also in South America? You've got Ecuador, elections in Ecuador, and a coup in Colombia. Tell me about these things. There are people out on the streets in Colombia on a regular basis, mass uprising against a very right-wing repressive government that has funded sending the soldiers in the streets who kill and otherwise repress the people who are coming out. And then you have in Ecuador where... The progressive candidate lost by just a little bit that happened recently. On the other hand, you have progressive winning in Chile. Lula out in Brazil probably going to be the next candidate and the next president there, turning the continent much more to the left. And you have a progressive in Argentina. And there are a lot of possibilities for the resurgence of what used to be known as the Pink Tide, where there was the majority of progressive governments in Latin America. So there's a lot of excitement, and a lot is resting on just a small number of votes here in Peru that will make a huge difference to this country and to the whole region. What is the role of the U.S.? Well, we haven't heard 
any overt things about Biden administration's involvement. Certainly, there are U.S. companies that are fearful and could do economic sabotage and pay their best deal wins. But we want to make sure that the U.S. government does not get involved in the external affairs of this country and that the vote be respected and the right wing not be allowed to carry out any kind of last-minute fraud take over the Jamorian power. Yeah. We're talking with Medea Benjamin, uh, live from Peru. Uh, Medea, would, would it be reasonable to suggest that the main thing that seems to be driving politics across South and Central America right now is economics, is, is the accumulation of wealth by a relatively small number of people and, and widespread poverty? Yes, and then put on top of that this pandemic that is laid bare this economic model that says if you have money, you can get a bed in a hospital and save your life. If you have money, you can fly to Miami and get vaccinated. And if you don't have money, you're left to die. And here in Peru, it has the tragic distinction of being the number one country in the world in terms of per capita deaths from COVID. So, yes, it's economic and it's shown so clearly that if you don't invest in healthcare and you allow healthcare to be privatized, you don't invest in education and it's privatized, that you're going to have masses of people who are angry, who are desperate, and who are demanding significant change. And that's what we see in Peru when a relatively unknown, totally underfunded campaign against the peon of a, uh, what's called Fujimorismo well-funded. He is winning. Remarkable. Remarkable stuff. Well, Medea, I look forward to an update from you. And this is all settled. Thanks so much for dropping by today. Okay. Thanks for having me on. Oh, Bye-bye. my pleasure. Always. Always. You are always welcome here. Thank you. Medea Benjamin. Fox Business this morning, Donald Trump was on Stuart Varney's show going off on how Facebook paid hundreds of millions for phony lockboxes that accounted for 96% of Biden votes, and they were just dumping ballots. It was a phony deal. Really? We're still, we're still uh, dealing with this? I mean, this, this is still our, our Trump reality? Oh, my God. Anyway, to move into something that is far more fascinating... Just extraordinary. Dennis Kucinich has a new book out, The Division of Light and Power is the title of it. I'm so happy to have him back on the program. It's been quite a while. Dennis, welcome back to the program. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Tom, it's uh, been a long time, but I'm just uh, delighted to have the chance to be with you. I was looking through some old pictures the other day, 10 years ago on my 60th birthday, 10 years ago last month. All my family was in Portland. Louise and I were in Washington, D.C., and my birthday party was with you and Elizabeth and Ellen Ratner. We had dinner together, and I have a I picture of it. <laughs> so, Elizabeth said her best. Yeah, yeah. So anyhow, it's, it's great talking to you again. You're right. It has been a long time, and it's been too long. So tell us about the Division of Light and Power. This has to do with the time that you were the mayor of Cleveland, as I recall, right? Yeah, the story opens, Tom, with a blackout in downtown Cleveland in 1969 at Christmas time, and I had just been elected to city council. All of a sudden, the lights are off in downtown Cleveland. I called Muni Light, which the title name is the Division of Light and Power, and asked, what's going on? It's you know, Christmas time. The lights are off. 
And the guy tells me, well, the, we have a boiler down and CEI, which is a private company, is shafting us. Two things are happening. One is they wouldn't give the city an interconnect, which would allow the city to have a backup and connect to every other connect to the national grid. That was number one. Number two, they're working behind the scenes to block any repairs in city council, any repairs that the system needed. So that moment there with that blackout is where the book opens. And the reader then goes through the experience that I had in learning about why the lights were really going off. And it takes them on a trip through corporate espionage, sabotage, price fixing, through organized crime, assassination plots, bank co-conspiracy, a wild, wild ride. And it's all true and it's all heavily documented. It's extraordinary. This is at its core what happens, is it not, when what should be considered part of the commons, what, what should be the stuff that we all own and manage for our own benefit, gets taken over by very wealthy, very powerful special interests, corporate or billionaire interests or hedge fund interests, and gets run purely for profit as opposed to for the public benefit? Well, privatization is a racket. People end up selling, at, usually at a discount, something they've already paid for with their tax dollars or with their rates. And later on, when they have to buy the service again, they're paying for it at a markup. You know, privatization during that time that I write about was rampant in the electric utility industry. There was a conglomeration going on where people were picking off these municipal systems. I list dozens of them at the beginning of the book. And there was one that the utility monopolies didn't get, and that was the one in Cleveland. It's the story of the book. And let's face it, it's all about being able to charge as much for a utility service as you can and get away with it. In Cleveland, we had two utilities providing electricity, one private, the other one public. The public one provided uh, service at rates that were 20% cheaper. I mean, it's no-brainer which one you want. That's why the private utility was trying to put it out of business. And, and it's one of the dirtiest stories you'll ever hear, I mean, uh, uh, in terms of the corruption that was involved in the Give me an example. Community. The blackouts. This is almost a spoiler alert, but let me tell you, there's so many things that happens in the book. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And one of the things I, I've learned over the years is that it, actually the more you give away of a book, the more likely people are to buy it because they, they want to be able to get the juicy details. The blackouts are occurring on the Munilite system. Well, a federal investigation later on and an antitrust lawsuit both produced documentation that proved that blackouts were being created on the Muni system by the private utility, the Cleveland Electric Illuminating Company. And then they would go into Muni Light neighborhoods with sales contracts saying, look, it doesn't look like your utility's working so well. Sign up with us and we'll top it off by giving you free wiring. I mean, this was like a mob. How yeah. are they sabotaging the publicly owned utility? They were doing it two ways. One, through blocking repairs in the city council. And two, when the city needed power, couldn't fix its generators because the repairs to the generators were being blocked by the lobbyists for the private utility, including city council. So the wow. city's weak. And then what would happen is when the city needed a transfer of power, the transfer of power was operated in such a way as to deliberately cause a blackout on the city system. 
And then when the city had to reconnect to its own system, they created a blackout again. That's just, Tom. So, I mean, I'm giving you one example. And then later on, the largest bank in Ohio gave me an ultimatum saying on December 15, 1978, either I would agree to sell our city's municipal electric system to this utility monopoly at a cut rate, or the bank would put the city of Cleveland in default on loans I hadn't even taken out. So the bank had a financial interest in the utility. They were business partners, but they were also, they had common business interests. And what happened is that the city was thrown into default. I made a commitment that, look, I'll go to the people and we'll get an income tax pass and get us out of default. Pay off these defaulted notes that I, on loans I hadn't taken out. The bank said, okay, the people passed the tax and they still kept us in default wow. until I left office. Wow. I mean, this is you know, this happened in the United States of America, who by a bank and utility monopoly, political system failed the people, the media failed the people. Ultimately, I had to make a decision whether I was going to sell or not. I said, no way, no how. It ended up being, this is a one-of-a-kind story in America. However, the thematics of the book, I take people right into the political system, and a reader will recognize things that are happening in their own community where the public's being dealt out of discussions over major public decisions. We're talking with former Congressman Dennis Kucinich, his uh, new book, The Division of Light and Power. This is a, a, a tour de force. Congressman, what can people do to fight back against this kind of thing when it's happening in their town or their state? I mean, we just saw you know, the horrors of privatization of electricity, for example, in Texas. And we, we just have a minute here before we're going to hit a break. Well, I'm going to tell you, I mean, I had a Pulitzer Prize winner who's looked at the book and he said, this book is going to be taught in political science classes far into the future. People need to get educated about the power systems, not just electricity, the political power systems in their own communities. And then they need to ask questions if something isn't fitting. They need to ask questions and they need to raise hell. And that's exactly what I did, you know, that took me into city council, that resulted in my journey into this corruption and that resulted in my being elected mayor. Absolutely extraordinary story. The new book, The Division of Light and Power by Dennis J. Kucinich. Congressman, it is great talking to you again. Thanks so much for dropping by today. Thanks, Sam. Book's on sale now. <laughs> the book's on sale now. You can find it wherever fine books are available. And so check it out. Dennis Kucinich, The Division of Light and Power. Thank you, Dennis. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out 
for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Roz in Troy, Virginia. Hey, Roz, what's on your mind today? Well, I heard you talking about people who don't believe in climate change, and I think I've got a clue. I've been watching the Jim Baker show for almost a year, just to to make myself aware. You're talking the former televangelist? Yes, and he's back big time. I have no doubt that in his heart, he is a good human being. I know he's done things for other people. He's adopted kids, all of that. But what he is talking about is so dangerous, not only to the health of our our world, because Christian people who are fundamentalists, as far as I can tell, do not believe in climate change. What they believe is we're living in the last days, that God is about to come back to the earth, that an asteroid is going to hit us. I mean, all this, these things that scare people to death. Hmm. And they still believe this thing about, uh, they, used to, they used to call the enemy, i.e. the Democrats, they. Now they've come out and it's the Democrats. They have people like David Horowitz on their show. Oh, my God. Who, who I think is just full of hate. Yes. And then lately they've had, I'm sorry, I'm about to lose my voice. Lately they've had Sidney Powell on She's written a book about the Justice Department. Yeah, and she's the one who's been doing all the uh, Trump lawsuits. I, my sense of of, uh, of Baker, Jim Baker, was always that the guy was a, a sociopath, that he was a, a professional con man like Donald Trump is. Well, um, and and such he, people can be very, very charming and very convincing. Well, he is dangerous because of these things he believes, and he's putting it out there in a way that, in a charming, loving way, just. Please watch him. Not maybe a whole week record his yeah. show. It's easy to find. I, I couldn't deal with it, Russ. You know. Well, it's what I, I remember mean, him you, when he and Tammy Faye had a fight, show. You can't fight God. These people think they're on the side of God. They are not helping with the climate change. They think the people who stormed the Capitol are just, you know, they just brush that aside. Mm-hmm. And the people who are very dangerous belong to this group. Goldwater warned us way back when to beware of the evangelicals. They are dangerous right. as hell. You're absolutely right. It was one of the few things Barry Goldwater was 100% right about. And, and we can't try to solve things unless you see what the other side truly believes. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. I, I, I don't need to watch him to... to I mean, your your report, Roz, was sufficiently comprehensive and thorough and uh, a good analysis that 
I get, you know, Jim Baker's just up to the same old stuff he was always about. He, you know, he used to be, you know, he would sell prayers, essentially. You know, uh, we've got a prayer line and, and we, well, we've got prayer cloths and we've, you know, and, and we've got to buy an electric dog house for Tammy Faye's dog. So send us some more money. And that was in the 80s, wasn't it? Who preached to people. Yeah. And it's a big segment of what is wrong and how we're so far apart. Yeah, I'm totally with you. Roz, thank you for the call. It's great to hear thank from you. you. I appreciate thank it. You, Tom. Yeah, and, and for the step into the Wayback Machine. It is our National Progressive Town Hall meeting with uh, Representative Ro Cano, uh, 17th District of California. Uh, a uh, vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, and uh, co Congressman Kana, K-H-A-N-N-A.house.gov, his website. You can tweet him at Rep. Ro Kana. Uh, Congressman Kana, welcome back. I'm, I'm curious your take on uh, the uh, uh, this ongoing sideshow in the Senate right now. I realize you're in the House, um, but uh, one of your colleagues, in fact, you know, as, as the Biden administration has been negotiating with the Republicans, and I put that in scare quotes, um, and and uh, has gone from two two point something trillion down to one trillion roughly on the infrastructure bill, and now is saying, oh well, maybe not raise taxes on corporations. One of your colleagues, uh, Representative Bowman from New York, is saying, you know, uh, I'm a Democrat and I can't vote for this bill. It's now basically a Republican bill. Um, what's going on? <laughs> what are your thoughts on all this? It's a terrible mistake. Let's Tom start with some facts uh, because you know I represent Silicon Valley. The market cap of companies in my district, just in my district in the Bay Area, is $10 trillion. $10 trillion, uh, the market cap of uh, tech companies. They, that has gone up 37% in the year of the pandemic, meaning when most people were being laid off, when most of us had, people had uh, difficulty uh, in making their bills, uh, and if you didn't have the luxury like I do of working remotely, you had uh, huge challenges. These companies made $10 trillion. Are you telling me that these companies can't have an increase in corporate tax when you have companies also like Amazon that it actually uh, last year uh, got a tax rebate? So it is offensive uh, to uh, have a Democratic proposal where we're going to say we're going to freeze the corporate tax rate when you have the most unprecedented wealth generation by corporations probably in American history. So you're apparently not a fan of that. I think they're going to have a lot of problems in the House if they don't make bold proposals. It's one thing to say, look, you know, we're not going to get 28, we're going to get 26, or we're not going to get all five fossil fuel subsidies eliminated, we're going to get three. The progressives have always been willing to compromise and work in good faith. But to say we're not going to do the president's plan of raising taxes on corporations and the ultra-wealthy, repealing some of the Trump tax cuts to fund basic infrastructure and help the working class. I mean, that's contradicting what we ran on. We ran on that. Feel free to tell me, you know, I'm, it's a negotiation. I'm not going to show my hand right now, but let me just bluntly ask, is the Congressional Progressive Caucus going to insert itself into this process and the way that the Republicans have and say, no, wait a minute, you're going to do it our way or you're going to have some serious problems, or at least we're going to get closer to our way. 
Yes, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to commit the Congressional Progressive Caucus on the Huffman Show, or, but I could just say, based on the conversations I've had, many progressives are not happy. We're not going to just roll over, and the president recognizes he's got a margin of just four votes in the House. Nothing can pass without the progressive support. I think we'll make it very, very clear that if there is not a clear plan to raise corporate taxes and pay for some of the bigger uh, initiatives, that they may not have the votes. Yeah, I salute you. This is the current issue, and it's it's not just about infrastructure. It's about what are the next four years going to look like? Um, yeah, are we going to have the campaign we promised the American people, the agenda that we promised, or are we going to just engage in the same kind of incrementalism that has been the cause of so much inequality? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's pick up some phone calls here. Paula in Miami, Florida. You are on the air with Congressman Kana. Is he legal? The bills passed by the House and the Senate and then signed into law with with the president. The states don't abide by the laws. You're talking about for Medicaid here. Florida didn't expand Medicaid. Florida didn't abide by the law. Well, it's a very uh, thoughtful question. And, of course, this was an issue in the 1960s where we passed the Voting Rights Act. We passed the Civil Rights Act. And there were a number of states that refused to enforce federal law. I refused to comply, and the president uh, uh, had to, in certain cases, uh, have federal troops go in or federal uh, enforcement through the DOJ. Uh, I hope it won't come to that with history repeating itself, but if we do pass before the People Act and have basic voting rights provisions, the states disregarded that, they would be uh, in violation of federal law, and then the president would have the authority to enforce federal law. Yeah, there you go. Nancy in Woodland, California, you're on there with Congressman Connor. Can we ever expect to see Republicans in Congress, uh, like Hawley and Cruz, expelled and try or charged with sedition, as they should have been done? Well, I think uh, we, we're having a full investigation. I know that the FBI Justice Department are looking into it. Uh, I know it feels slow, but they are doing a thorough job. And let's see what they come up with. Uh, were there members of Congress or senators who were directly involved in uh, aiding, abetting uh, the insurrectionists? And, uh, and based on those reports... Uh, it could lead to uh, action by the ethics committees. Do you or, uh, we just have 45 seconds, do you or any of your colleagues have any concerns about Christopher Wray? He, after all, was put into that position as head of the FBI by Donald Trump. You know, honestly, uh, Tom, Chris Wray uh, seems to me one of the more decent, honorable people that Trump had appointed. He seemed to have some independence. I mean, I'm waiting mm -hmm to see uh, what comes of the investigations, but uh, uh, he uh, strikes me as someone with more integrity than a lot of the other uh, hacks that- uh, He's not a Lewis DeJoy. <laughs> no, yeah. no, well, no I'm, not, I'm not saying that we, I, I, think, I think we want to make sure, but I, look, I think President Biden came in and he said uh, he doesn't want to in any way uh, repeat uh, some of the things Trump did, and so uh, firing an FBI director right off the bat, I think, would have been uh, raised uh, raised people's uh, anger. Yeah, totally get it. Zach in North Hollywood, California. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. Morning, gentlemen. 
I'd like to point to a compromised FCC where you can't curse, can't use toilet talk, but you can spew right-wing propaganda for 25 years straight every day of the week. Now, I would like to ask you, if you Photoshop the faces of Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, Rupert Murdoch, and Donald Trump onto the first four guys breaking into the Capitol, uh, would the message be accurate? Congressman? Well, Zach, Zach I, first, I think the, you raise a very important point of the First Amendment. Look, they, the law currently is that you can have regulations for what they call civility and decorum, which is why you can regulate cursing, but you can't have regulations on viewpoints. So you can't say conservative or liberal viewpoints are not allowed. The problem, as Tom has talked about many times before, is, one, we don't have a fairness doctrine, so you can have this uh, speech that is totally skewed to one side of a viewpoint, and you don't really have a marketplace of ideas. And two, as, as Tom, again, has written about extensively, you've had the conservatives who structurally bought up a lot of these radios, bought up a lot of local cable, so only their side is getting heard. And my view is I'm fine with having provocative views out there, uh, but uh, there has to be both fairness in terms of getting the other side there, and we need to have a more investment in our structural media uh, to, 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 to counter the disinformation. In terms of the insurrectionists being influenced by some of the personalities you said, I mean, that's, I think that's obvious, and the question is how do we uh, counter that? Joe and Cupertino, you're on the air with your congressman. Good morning, Tom, and good morning, Congressman. I enjoy to speak with you again. I was uh, just learning the other day that there's an offer being $10,000 for health care workers in California, or I guess around the country, because of the global pandemic as a way of being gracious. I thought that was a great idea. And that the governor's supporting it. I guess the private sector has said, ah, we can't do that. The Chamber of Commerce doesn't support it. We can't support that. I just thought that that was an interesting position. But I wanted to bring to your attention something that came to my mind today. I read that the district attorney here in our county is mad or upset that the Department of Homeland Security and Border Patrol never notified them that they had investigated the shooter. In 2016, uh, this interoperation communication or failure has got to stop. Um, too many times we see that we are investing money in trying to prevent things like this from occurring, and then we have the information after the fact we find out we knew about it, but they didn't tell the local people. I wonder if you could do something to try to improve the communications that occur at the federal level to the local government so that we can avoid these types of needless incidents. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. And uh, for the national callers who may not know, we had a horrific incident in our district in San Jose last week, a horrific week. Nine people were killed. Uh, Someone went into our VTA office, the VTA are public servants who run the uh, public transportation in, in Silicon Valley in San Jose and opened fire and killed nine people. And a lot of the FBI and law enforcement knew about this individual and some of the threats, and that didn't get to the local law enforcement. So we need better coordination, but we also need uh, far better gun laws that make sure that people like uh, this individual don't have access to guns. He had apparently hordes of ammunition at his house and just a terrible situation. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. 
With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Connor. Thank you, Tom. Uh, yes, Congressman, I would like to ask you this question. Would it not be beneficial that in the next bill that passes by reconciliation in the Senate, that the House offer what I am calling the Little Red Hen Amendment, which means that from there on out, that all spending bills that pass through Congress, if they pass, shall be distributed only amongst the federal districts whose representatives voted for them, and none to the districts that voted against it. For that is what their representatives would have had for them. Nothing. And that is, of course, the ethic that we were taught as children in the, in the fable, The Little Red Hen, where the little red hen wanted to bake bread and none of the animals would help. And when the bread was done and ready to eat, of course, all the animals wanted it. But she said, you took no part in, the, in planting the seed and threshing the wheat and grinding the grain, kneading the dough, forming the loaves and baking the bread. You shall take no part in eating it either. And that's what we need because we have Republicans who are taking part and taking credit for bills that the Democrats are passing like the COVID relief bill. The little red hand amendment needs to come now. Thank you. Great rant, Congressman. I, I appreciate the sentiment. Challenge, of course, is that even in Republican districts, first of all, you may have 25% of people uh, who are Democrats. You still have union workers there. You still have people of color there. You still have people who are single parents there. And it would be cruel to penalize all of them because of the uh, ignorance or short judge or poor judgment of their representative. What I think we have to do and what President Biden has started to do is to be a little bit more explicit about the hypocrisy. Uh, President Biden said, well, I hear my Republican friends are taking credit uh, while voting against it. I think some of us can start naming who those Republicans are and actually highlighting that in these districts. And, and if we do that a little more aggressively, I think it will have the impact that you want. John in Long Island, New York. John, you are on the air with Representative Kana. Yes, hi, great. Uh, hi, Representative Kana. Um, my question, now that the Democrats are in power, why, why isn't there any even feeble attempt at, at sort of a reckoning for the Mueller report cover-up? Why, why don't you have Bill Barr testify under oath 
and, and, and ask him why he covered up the obstruction of justice charges. What was his motivation? Why aren't you doing anything? John, it's a great point. Uh, the uh, speaker had appointed a select committee to look into uh, all of that, uh, led by uh, Clyburn. But I'm on the oversight committee, and uh, it's uh, a point I'm going to raise with uh, uh, Chairwoman Maloney, that we ought to have people like Barr. We ought to see what the cover-up was, and we ought not to drop it. So you're absolutely right to raise it, and I appreciate it. Uh, Jeff in Portland, Oregon. Jeff, you're on the air with Representative Khanna. Hey, good morning, Tom and Congressman Khanna. Thanks, as always, for the town hall. Uh, Congressman Khanna, you know, it's great that you you and your fellow progressives like uh, Pramila Jayapal and, and Jamal Bowman are pushing back hard against this, any radical concessions to the GOP. Uh, we can never forget their only goal is to shrink government for the people and give it give all the power to billionaires and giant corporations. Uh, my, co- my question today, Congressman, though, uh, is concerning your bill to allow states to use federal funds to set up their own Medicare for All programs. There was a post on Common Dreams um, last weekend that worried about this being a a threat to national Medicare as we know it. Um, So I'm wondering, is it possible to put a provision in your bill that would allow people already on Medicare to remain on Medicare, and then the states would only have to cover all the remaining people, which now would be people under 65, but we can simultaneously fight to lower that age to 50 or 55? Thank you, Congressman Kana. Thank you, Jeff. Yes, the the bill is a complement to... uh, a, a national Medicare for all. Obviously, I strongly believe we need national Medicare for all. I've been a, a, a strong champion of the bill. Uh, but w- one of the ways Canada got there it was to have states do it through states like Saskatchewan. And all the bill says is that if you are willing to have a single-payer system to cover everyone, uh, you should be able to use your federal funds to do that. But you raise a good point that we shouldn't have people being uh, pushed out of the Medicare for all Medicare uh, program to, to be able to do that as a practical matter. I don't think states will do that. But if you think, but you know, I don't see no harm in clarifying that the states shouldn't be allowed to do that in the bill. Earthell in New York City. Am I saying your name right? I want to know what's going to happen to the money that's already been allocated for the uh, Republican states that's refusing to give to the unemployed. That money is sitting there in the federal treasury, and uh, there is uh, some ability to to have discretion in how how to use it. believe the president wants the governors to take the money. If they still refuse to do it, uh, then we will have to repurpose it into trying to help people who the money was intended for. Bob in Asheville, North Carolina. Hey, Bob, thanks for watching Free Speech. Your thoughts on this? I got a two-year degree from a community college, and I'm retired now as a community college faculty professor for forest ecology. And I'm not rich, Tom, but I'm doing fine. I can survive. And I would love to see everybody that wants to go in and not have a $100,000 bill for from a, a university go into a community college and get a real trade, a real skilled job. Oh, yeah. Uh, with minimal yeah. with minimal output of your pocket, and um, that's what the jobs uh, that's what the um, infrastructure plan will offer those jobs, and then training for those jobs to the community colleges with a small investment in a two year education. And when I was teaching, we were offering high school students the opportunity to take the intro classes into these uh, career uh, curriculums. I would go mm-hmm. over to the high schools and teach the intro to forest resources, intro to wildlife science to these high schoolers. So would our other curriculums, and they could get that 
That's great. While they were in high school. And then there was the early college opportunity that the Gates Foundation funded, where kids that didn't really fit into this high school uh, process could go to, in three years, get a high school degree and a two-year degree. And the opportunities are there to really train our, our yeah. young folks. No, we really need, I'm with you, Bob. We really need this stuff. And McConnell is saying he's just totally opposed to it. And I'm still scratching my head. Norma in Montgomery, Alabama, you are on the air with Representative Connor. Many years ago, Tom and I had a discussion on the definition of treason as to that anyone who normal, who willingly, knowingly, and deliberately does anything that's detrimental to the country should be charged with treason. And to me, these people in Congress, the, particularly in the Senate, who have refused to vote for an investigation into the January 6th incident are not doing their job. They are violating their oaths under their, for serving, protecting the Constitution and serving this country. Isn't there anything that y'all can do to investigate these people and to find out why, what is their reason for refusing to have an investigation into why our capital was attacked and they intended to overthrow our government? Why are these senators failing to support an investigation. You raise a good point. I mean, the answer is Donald Trump. They're so afraid of what Donald Trump thinks uh, that they are more beholden to him than ever before. And they uh, are concerned if they were to support a commission, they'd lose their primaries, they would lose their base. Uh, The uh, answer, though, in terms of holding them accountable is to have uh, the federal government, the Justice Department, FBI, look at, investigate what happened. And if any of them were colluding uh, or, or, or not, and if obviously they took illegal action, and then to hold them accountable at the ballot box in 2022 and remind people that these are individuals who really are subverting the democratic process. I think it would be a total capitulation of the moment to agree to what the Republicans are putting forward. It's not bold. It has almost nothing on climate. It has nothing on uh, many of the key provisions on child care, on elder care. Uh, it is uh, not raising revenue where, where it wants to. And the biggest kicker here is the Democrats should not be in favor of keeping the Trump tax, Trump tax cuts. We spent, have spent the last four years saying how unjust the Trump tax cuts are. You would think that the first thing we'd want to do is get rid of those unjust Trump, Trump tax cuts and not compromise in saying, well, let's just have those be permanent. Uh, Congressman, we just have uh, 40 seconds. There's a theory that the strategy that the Biden administration is playing out is build their popularity with what they've done so far and get it to the point where the public pressure will be overwhelming and the Republicans will have to capitulate. Many people think that's naive. Uh, I'm not even sure that's their strategy. Your thoughts on all that? Well, look, I think the president's popularity is pretty good. It's in the low 50s, and I don't know if you can get higher than that in the modern context, where you have about 40% of the country believing that he isn't legitimately elected. So I, I think he has the political capital. Now's the time to govern. Yeah, there you go. Now's the time to use it. Randy in Ottawa, Iowa, you are on the air with Representative Kana. Look, is the $15 an hour minimum wage still at the top of the stack when, with all these other things that need to be done, you know, with infrastructure and everything else. I drove by a a chicken place today advertising jobs for $12 an hour. And I live in a state where Iowa, where $7 and something an hour is the minimum wage. Somehow or another, I feel we've got to get it across that if a working man can't 
support his family and he qualifies for welfare, then it's corporate welfare. We need more people like you to share uh, what you just said. You need to pay a family wage in this country. You, you, if you're not, you're basically subsidizing corporations because otherwise the taxpayer is going to have to pay for the earned income tax credit or the nutrition benefits that families are going to need. So it's dehumanizing for people to be doing a hard day's work and not being paid fairly and then having to rely on the government to make ends meet. And it's grading the taxpayer. Who does it benefit? It benefits the corporations. So we need examples like you just cited about jobs that should be paying $15 where people are underpaying them. And then we need a $15 wage. I have pushed so hard with a few others saying we needed to do it in the COVID relief, in reconciliation, overruling the parliamentary. I feared that was our best chance. Uh, I'm still going to push. I'm going to try to push through the uh, arms and national defense authorization in the House Armed Services Committee where I'm at. Uh, but it's hard if we're not willing to overrule the parliamentarian. Tom, it's all about the infrastructure bill. And this infrastructure bill, I think, is symbolic of the Biden presidency of the next four years. Uh, are we going to fight and push for our progressive values? Uh, or are we going to uh, try to strike a deal with a Republican Party that doesn't have uh, the country's uh, long-term interests in mind uh, and that will be woefully short of what people expect and want? Uh, the Progressive Caucus is going to be loud in the direction of bold, pass it. We'll see what happens. But this is where the activism, I think, will make the biggest difference. So uh, calling your members of Congress and con- contacting them in other ways. You could say that, Tom. What I could say is that that's the most important issue right now is infrastructure. Yeah. Well, that's, going that, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. I'm sorry. I, I, I keep trying to drag people into my apologies. Thank you very much, Congressman Connor, for dropping by today. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. So there's a new study that has, this is not peer-reviewed, but it is in preprint. It is being peer-reviewed as we speak, where the scientists were looking at the ability of the COVID virus to jump from the human species, you know, started with bats and then it apparently went to pangolins and then to humans, um, to jump from humans to other species, which would be a big problem. If we can infect other mammals, you know, our cats and dogs, if we can infect rats or mice, who have traditionally been disease vectors for all kinds of things, from the bubonic plague to hantavirus, if we can infect them with this virus, uh, we've got a whole brand new problem. And sure enough, they have found that these two variants, B351 and P1, uh, both can infect mice in the laboratory. And uh, they say this, uh, this abrogation of the species barrier represents a serious problem. Rick in Queen Creek, Arizona. Hey, Rick, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's up? Yeah, Tom, hey, you're right about the uh, Republicans. They have lost it ever since Obama presidency, and they're never going to turn back. But I think they've lost thing. it since the John Kennedy presidency, frankly. I think Absolutely. That was, that was the point at which they went nuts. Yeah, that scared them. I mean, you had Roosevelt, and then you had Eisenhower stayed calm and centered, and then Kennedy... They went, oh, my goodness. And then it just started going downhill for them. And Barack Obama's presidency just was a slap in the face. They, oh, no, we got to stop this. Yeah. But, but anyway, on Flynn, I don't recall him actually being convicted of treason. No, he wasn't. He was convicted of lying to the FBI. 
But it was about no. being a foreign agent. And I'm not sure if he was convicted of being a foreign agent or not. I, I, I believe not. I think it only went as far as the line to the FBI. But whether it was or it wasn't, that's what he was lying about. And that's a matter of public record. But see, he's a commissioned officer, and commissions do not expire. I, I think there is an age way down the line. And the court that he needs to be held responsible in is the military courts. Mm -hmm. So his commission needs to be recalled, and then an investigation through a uh, court-martial. So is that because the only way to pull his pension? I, it's what I'm getting at. I, I believe that even a federal offense, and it's probably through legislation, Mm -hmm. doesn't allow uh, civilians to touch the military portions of the, you know what I mean? They're right. separated. Right. Any of these guys, I mean, he's lost his mind, just like Giuliani's lost his mind. And I think you're right about Trump. He's not smart enough to actually come up with all this. Yeah. He's being coached by Bannon and all these other crazy. Yeah, know? I agree. I agree. Any military person who's been involved in any of this treasonous actions, because the military court, I believe, is the only place that you can officially try someone who is in the military for treason. I could be wrong. You know. Well, I th the jurisdictional issues, I don't know, and I don't, you know, and I don't pretend to know. Something should be done. I mean, this is this is pretty grim. So, were you a flag officer, Rick? No, I was raised in the military. My father's in the military, and I know a little bit about the courts mm -hmm. in the military courts. This is the direction we're going to have to go with those type individuals. Yeah, who have commissions. You know, I mean, these things that they took an oath, they broke their oath, and so it needs to be investigated in a military court. Yeah, and then Flynn took the QAnon oath. Have you seen that video? He literally no. took an oath to QAnon on video. I can't get away from the uh, ridiculous stuff on the it's internet. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Rick, I got to run, but thank you for the call, and thanks for the information. You're, I, I think you're absolutely right that this needs to be a military tribunal or a military court. Mark in Valley, Washington. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind? Well, Tom, after watching the Republicans' interaction with the Democrats since Ronald Reagan, watching the Republicans lie, cheat, steal, to do whatever it takes to be in power and get their way, and watching the Democrats capitulate to them since Reagan, I'll take the progressive wing of the Democratic caucus out of this statement. We're getting a big game of good cop, bad cop played on us by the, both parties because they both eat from the same corporate pig trough. You know, that's that's true of a chunk of the Democratic Party. I think it's a very rapidly diminishing slice of the Democratic Party. It is clearly true of 100 percent of the Republican Party. And this was a decision. I mean, you know, when Reagan came into office in 1980, the Democratic Party was awash in cash from the unions. And uh, in fact, so much so that, you know, people like Jimmy Hoffa were just basically, you know, skimming money off the top. In fact, Hoffa used that to, he gave a you know, million dollar bribe to Richard Nixon to keep him out of prison on the Sun Valley land deal back in 1960. So when Reagan came in, this was after the Supreme Court had legalized billionaires and corporations owning politicians. And so Reagan said, okay, the Republican Party is going to become the official party of billionaires and, and giant corporations. And the Democrats were still like, hey, we're the party of the labor unions. And what did Reagan do for eight years and then Bush Sr. for four more, you know, for a total of 12 years? or yeah, 12 years. Um, what did he do? He gutted the unions. So we went from, you know, a third of America being unionized when Reagan was elected in 80 to about eight or 9% by the time Bush was done with it. And it's down to 6% in the private sector right now. 
And the result yeah, of that was he gutted the ability of unions to support Democrats. So when Bill Clinton wanted to run in 92, he needed cash. So he went to the corporations, too. It was just, you know, oh, we'll just go with the nice corporations, the banks, the insurance company, the white collar corporations. And, you know, it it it. It was an, a political necessity at the time. I think you could build a strong case for that. Al Fromm wrote a book about this. But it, that time has passed. And Barack Obama proved that you can raise money from the grassroots. Bernie Sanders proved you can raise money from the grassroots. Joe Biden uh, demonstrated that, too. And I am just so hopeful, Mark, that more and more people will get inside the Democratic Party and start pushing real positive change, because that's what we need. Mark, thank you for the call. Neil in Gloucester, Mass. Hey, Neil, what's on your mind today? I um, had uh, an advertising company. I represented three electrical cooperatives. Yeah, you're speaking uh, to uh, Dennis Kucinich's book about power companies. Yeah, I mean, he's a wonderful guy. and He's very insightful. He should be a little careful for his health because of the, I don't know if you know, I think the electrical people in general probably have a bigger net income than even the oil company. And I could tell you that personally. But anyhow, the electrical cooperatives, as you know, when you get electricity, you're an owner of the company. Mm-hmm. You're essentially a stockholder, yeah, if you're an electric right, co-op. Right. Yeah. And they don't make money. I mean, I visited them at their headquarters in three different states where I represented them. The common people that are working and trying to keep electricity low, and it's a huge battle. I mean, everybody listen to your program gets electricity, probably, right? Right. And so it's a land dispute. Back in the day, 30 years ago, electrical cooperatives controlled 60% of the land mass of the United States. Now it's down to about 45%. Right. And the way it works is that if you have a small community, the power companies and the politicians let you put in electricity. Then they have the lobbying and the groups that take that over for the power company. Yeah, that was what Dennis said. You know, you, you know, they basically take over something that you paid for with your tax dollars and then charge you for it. Excellent. And I'm glad you had that on because, I mean, some of the ads we did where you would have five miles of uh, a little black schoolhouse couldn't get electricity. Right. So the electrical cooperatives would put in five miles. Oh, they're, they're, they're lifesavers. They're absolute lifesavers. Neil, I'm, I'm sorry, we're out of time. It's the end of the show, but thank you for the call. Thank you so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. By definition, demos, right? The people. That's you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. There are things you can do to help. Get engaged. Be good to somebody today. You've been we'll listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.